Hey there, thanks for listening. I'm Deanna and on the Heights of Hearts podcast this week, we're in conversation with not one, but two rather fabulous people, doctors, in fact, two doctors. I'm heavily outranked again today, but that's okay. Um, I went all the way to Copenhagen for this one as well. Denmark is a lovely country. If you haven't been, I heartily recommend it. Dr. Scott Wilson and Dr. Ravi Chandran are both internationals living in the city of Copenhagen and have been settled in Denmark for a number of years. They both work in the area of Christian missions to Western cultures, but in slightly different ways. So today I thought we could talk a little bit about holistic care character development, missions, because maybe that's something you feel is on your heart to go elsewhere, to kind of be sent out at some point and to go to a country that is not your own, not your birthplace. We want to encourage you in some conversations today. And also leadership development as well. How to be a really great church leader or Christian leader, leader in general, whatever sphere or sector that you work in, you operate within. And so I've got two very knowledgeable, experienced professionals and doctors to talk us through these subjects. Let's start with Dr. Scott Wilson. My name is Scott Wilson. I, I'm involved in, well, I don't know how you'd put this, but I do a lot of uh, leadership work with churches. So I try and go in and help them with their systems and processes and set up things, tools really, that help them do it more effectively. But I love preaching and hanging around with the pastors. And I have a very good job, Deanna. It's a very nice job. I can't complain about it. I visit so many churches every year. And uh, basically on the road about 250 nights a year and really enjoy what I'm doing. My wife pastors a church in Denmark, um, so she's busy with that. So together we're just trying to build the kingdom of God wherever we can. Well, you spend so much time with leaders and leadership teams and churches and Christian ministries. So let me ask you, what quality or what characteristic do you think that every leader should possess? Well, the first one would be, and it's it's a basic 101 class in leadership for us in Christianity is character or heart, as we say. I think um, I think that one's the most important, and you can't you can't not address that. Say so the character, heart, the person who we are will continue will sustain us in our leadership drive. But if you ask me what is the second one, I think we've got to recognise what our talent, skill, or abilities are, mm. and they're three different things. Skill is something I've learnt. Um, I think talent is something I'm born with, but gift is something God gives me, and all of those are addressed in Scripture. So I can be skilled. I choose to do that. Talent, I'm born with it. It's in my DNA. Gifting, it's given by God. There's about 21 different gifts in the scripture that relate to us. And uh, some people don't know those things. They're, they're great at character and they're great at leading. But unless you know your skill, talent and ability and you 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 combine that with strong ca- character, um, you can get a little frustrated because you've got a good heart, but you don't know how to apply it. Sometimes you get a situation where people have all those three working well, but they don't have the heart right. So they're doing a great job, but the heart lets them down. So I'd say it's those two really as a mix that really makes leadership work. And how would you you know, recommend that we grow or work on those areas? I think with character, it's the same. We hear it so often, protect your heart, look after your heart. The things that come in, the things that come out, uh, make sure your heart is, is always surrounded by the word of God and stuff like this. The other thing is uh, with this talent, skill and gifting is to make sure you're constantly upskilling those areas. For example, you might say, well, God's given me a gift of X. It might be prophecy or serving or giving or something like this, which is great. But if you're not upskilling and just relying on what you have and not learning through experience and enhancing it and, and feeding it 
and taking every opportunity to practice it and, and reading about it and learning from others, then you can't sustain it. So I think all those, you know, the Bible tells us that um, Paul said in Corinthians, if you prophesy, we'll have three people who will evaluate the prophecy. Check it out. Have a look how you're going and probably give good feedback on it. Which means, actually, if you're prophesying, there's, there's often people who can tell you how well you're doing and how you can enhance what you're doing. So I'd say training, education, reading, all these things, even in spiritual gifts, is vital for our personal development. Let me also ask you, what are some of the biggest mistakes or what is the biggest mistake that you find leaders make time and time again? I think the biggest one is... It depends on what level of leadership you're talking about too, from pastors down to exec teams through to volunteer leaders and stuff like this. But I think probably the one is this issue of making room. I think a lot of leaders get into the routines and the patterns, and the, but they, they don't make room for the important stuff. I, I would say that's part of probably my early life as a leader too. You didn't make room. You're so consumed by the moment and what was happening, you re, and you wanted to serve God in the best way, especially as a young leader. And you just want to give it all. Of course you do. But we're going to realize we're going to be doing this for 60, 70 years. And if you don't leave room, the Sabbath concept, some space for reflection, meditation, for rest, relaxation. Um, the Bible actually says six days shall a man work. And on the seventh he'll rest. It doesn't say how long you should work. So it's not work that stresses us. It's usually lack of rest that stresses us. So we can work actually 56 hours. But if you don't leave space somewhere, for a 24-hour period or moments in your calendar where you can just withdraw and do what you need to do. Now, I'm a specialist at this now, Deanna. I'm good at it. I've learned through a long period of time when to back off and when to sit down and when to, and I'll do it because I want to do this for many more years. So I think that, that thing is the part that lets it down. So, I, you know, I find that I'm dealing sometimes with a lot of guys who are too stressed and mm-hmm. haven't got time for this and that and the family suffers and all the rest because there's no room in their life for such things. Well, you travel a lot, you teach a lot, your wife pastors a church. How do you personally take the time and create the space? Is there any particular way that works for you best? Yes, it's all in your calendar. Your calendar is what manages your events. Uh, you can say time management, but you can't manage time. You can only manage the events of time. So our life is full of events. And the way we manage events is through a calendar. Now, I've solved in my time lots of pastoral challenges of people who just didn't get their calendars right. But they thought it was either a spiritual problem or a lack of training or being in the wrong place. But actually, they just didn't manage their life well. They didn't get the calendar out and plan properly and coordinate and get it. And I wished I had knew that early, knew that known that earlier. I, to be honest with you, I was really bad, bad at this too, up to about the age of 28. I ran on the smell of an oily rag, so to speak. I ran on the moment. I ran on... You just kept it in your head. But I was waking up in the middle of the night thinking, I've got to do something tomorrow, and I've forgotten what it is. Then I'd remember it, go back to sleep, and forget it the next morning. But if I use my calendar right, all that takes that stuff away. So I could check out a night for me, Monday night. I could check it out in my calendar. It's my night, right? And so you say to me, hey, we want to go out on the town with some of our friends. Would you come along? I say, I've got an appointment on Monday. But that appointment is with me. But I'm not telling you that. I'm just saying I've got an appointment on Monday. I can't do that. But a lot of us just chase the moment. So our spontaneity leads us instead of good discipline time or event management. I think that's probably the biggest thing you deal with most of the time. I reckon almost every situation I deal with in leadership is linked to the calendar. 
Also, if you're not someone who puts too much stock in what your calendar looks like, whether or not you properly put time aside for yourself, well, now you know how important that is. Let's jump straight into our second conversation with Dr. Ravi Chandran, also an international living in Copenhagen with his family, a church pastor, a church planter, and uh, also somebody who gets involved in mentorship and business coaching as well. My name is Ravi, and I come from Singapore. At least that was where I was born and raised. I wasn't born a Christian, which is very important to note, because I was born in a Hindu Hindu family, and then I became a Christian when I was uh, in my late teens, and finally uh, joined a church that was very missions oriented. As a result of that, ended up becoming a missionary eventually. Um, currently, I'm living in Denmark after leaving Singapore in short and long-term mission trips around the world for the past 30 years. And uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm, of course, married. Uh, my wife is Lillian, who is a Singaporean Chinese. And I'm a Singaporean Indian, if that helps the listeners. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, of course, we've got two boys who are born and raised uh, here in Denmark. Now, you mentioned briefly, yes, you've traveled and done missions all over. You've actually done missions in, well, you've lived in Africa and, and places before settling in, in Denmark. Um, and you're a very international family. You work with a very international community here in Copenhagen. How did you know, before we get to the international aspect of who you are and what you do, how did you know that being a church pastor or a church planter um, was what you were called to do or what you wanted to do? Well, perhaps um, it is hard to say that you would know for sure. It is really a step of faith. And I believe that it's very much intertwined with your talents as well as the giftings that you have. Um, it was in the course of my journey. As a matter of fact, the very first missions exposure that I had, which was in India, uh, New Delhi, and the, the pastor or the leader of the team was a British man who was much more Indian than I was, in the sense that, <laughs> in the sense that he was trying to teach me everything about India. And I was like asking him, Jeff, how did you know so much about it? And I was fascinated and uh, about the fact that he was really down to earth. And he was more, like I said, Indian than he was British. And uh, it really blew me away. And that was the first exposure that I had. And when I traveled around, I applied some of the contextualized, uh, contextualizing principles that he used in terms of being in a country, but trying to really work alongside with the people and understand the way they, they functioned. And you kind of grew into it. And before you realized, you're like, hey, you know what, maybe this is what I'm meant to do. And that's how it sort of developed. It was a dynamic process, more than a static, uh, you know, one-time revelation that now I'm going to be a missionary, and then you pack up and you leave. So it was uh, on-the-job training, I should say. How is being a missionary, and I'm sure there are many obvious answers, but <laughs> how is being a missionary to places like Africa, and Ghana, I believe you were. And Uganda. And Uganda, Ghana and Uganda. How is that? different to your life in Western Europe, you know, planting a church in Denmark? Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's a lovely question. Um, in, a, in, a, in a snapshot, the spiritual atmosphere in Ghana and Africa is compl or Uganda, for example, um, is so different compared to the spiritual uh, atmosphere in, in Europe where I am right now. In Africa, it's so easy to talk about God to almost anybody. And um, and what they are really lacking uh, sometimes is 
really solid teaching and uh, less religiosity um, to be able to um, be connected to God in a life-transforming experience. Whereas in the West, um, it is easy to talk about spiritual things sometimes, but not necessarily godly things. When you start touching uh, about conviction or sin um, or grace in that for the matter, there's always a huge uh, chasm between the two. And in the West, it's very comfortable in terms of material stuff. You can, you know, I, I probably live much more comfortable than I've ever lived before living here in Denmark. Whereas in, the, in Africa, there was a lot of natural challenges. You know, electricity sometimes being gone, water, war, uh, you name it, you've got a lot of natural challenges. But spiritually speaking, this you can make a lot more advances if you are able to. Whereas here, you can be so comfortable materially, sometimes even too comfortable, that you feel almost like you're part of the sofa and you can't, uh, can't accomplish more than you wish you could. I mean, Denmark is a wonderful country, but I would say that um, anywhere in Western Europe, I would think um, you would face a lot of those same challenges or just, just cultural observances that we're all very comfortable. We have wonderful things, we have property, that struggle can be hard, but it's a different type of struggle to people in a third world mm. country. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you think you faced church planting or being a missionary to Western culture? Mm. I think in the Western culture, um, some of the challenge is the fact that uh, religion, at least in Denmark for particular, religion is very much looked at as something very private and personal. Therefore, if I'm working in an office, for example, uh, which I was working in the Danish AIDS Foundation for 10 years, in the office you discuss official things. You do not talk about private issues like your home or your family or your wife, kids and so on, unless you're friends. But intruding into those private uh, areas seems very rude and very unprofessional. And so in Denmark, religion is considered something very private at least among the Danes. So when you try to engage in a conversation that has to do with religion, they almost feel like you're being rude and you're being intrusive into the, the privacy of their chambers. Thus, uh, coming to that area, uh, it's very important to, to, to try and distinguish that I'm not here to intrude into your privacy, but I would like to share with you something uh, that I have experienced. Now, having said that, for a Dane, if a foreigner crosses that line, it is sort of acceptable or at least understandable because you're a foreigner. And they tend to be a lot more open to a foreigner uh, talking about God or spiritual things. The on, on the contrary, when you talk about the international culture living in the West, some of them uh, come here and they feel uh, maybe a newfound freedom uh, compared to what they used to be back home. So some people who are not used to, if I could say, being a little bit more open and uh, understand it, understanding in their faith, they come here and they get completely disorientated and in, to some extent even shipwreck their faith because they think this is now what I should do, what is being done in Denmark, among the West, just keep things private and personal and not interact. But Christianity is not only a private, uh, personal relationship, but it's also one that is interactive with others. That's why we love God and we also love our neighbors and as we love ourselves. Yeah, and there also should be a public outworking of what your faith means to you personally, mm. right? Mm. 
Exactly. And that is the aspect that is sometimes lacking. And that is why you also have a lot of lonely people in the West. Um, because it's so private that uh, people are crying out in Denmark. We just had a program not too long ago in national TV as to how many people are lonely. Some people are so lonely. It's shocking because this privacy is not helping them in their social life. Whereas Christianity is a social um, relationship. I wouldn't even call it a religion because it's something that is a relationship between you and God, but it's also a relationship between you and your neighbors. It's also a relationship between you discovering your own uh, destiny as to what God has called you to do. And that is something that is not only um, introvert, but it's also something that's extrovert. It comes out of you. What's it like to be a, I'll use the word foreigner for lack of a better word, but what's it like to be a foreigner in a different country, being a missionary, because whether it's Western Europe or somewhere else, a lot of people would understand or they would have a heart or a vision um, to go to a country that is not their own and to plant there and to do God's work there and to do what they feel they're called to do there. But then how do you do that and be respectful of the culture that already exists and to work in your case, you're working obviously with the Danish church. Um, how, does a, how does a missionary go about doing something like that? I think it was a little bit more easier for me uh, due to my natural birth compared to Lillian, because Singapore, you have majority Chinese, even though the natural Singaporeans uh, are the Malays. But while the Chinese are the majority, uh, the Indians, like my, my father who came from India and my mom from Malaysia, we are the minorities. So being born and raised in a country where I'm a citizen, but I was a minority, helped me so much in understanding what it meant to be a minority elsewhere. So traveling uh, to uh, Africa and, and, and to Asia and to, you know, literally 60 different countries around the world, it's so normal for me to know that um, it's okay to be a minority and uh, just to understand what's happening in Rome and as the old proverb goes, in Rome do as the Romans do. Um, I think it was a little bit more tough for my wife when she started her travels because she was a majority as a Chinese in Singapore. And for her to go out and to understand that there's another culture and another way of functioning, but eventually uh, learn to adapt. So I think as a Christian, the important thing, or even as a missionary, uh, adaptability to be all things to all people with the hope of trying to reach them for Christ. Um, to contextualize your message in any setting so that you don't come with a culture. Uh, you're, you're not changing the message either. The message uh, remains always the same, the gospel message. But the methods must be changed. They must be adapted to suit different cultures, to suit different generations uh, and even languages so that the people can find it, to make it easy for people to find Christ and not put an obstacle in their way instead. So how would you encourage young people, whether it's teens, young adults, or somebody who feels that there's a call in their life to go to a nation? Because obviously we're all missionaries where we are as well. Like, let's not forget that in your local community. Mm. You are Christ to those people. But for the people who specifically feel like, or young people that specifically feel like um, that God's calling them to a nation that is not their own and pursue, to pursue that kind of life, mm. that you and your family have been on that journey, how would you encourage them? I would say um, to practice uh, their call or their passion uh, right where they are before they are even able to cross the uh, nation they should at least cross the street 
You know, it's funny because I remember when I got saved, I was still in the military in Singapore, uh, in the Air Force, and uh, I just had this urge to preach, but I just had no audience. So what I would do is I would go out into uh, the forest and uh, and the trees and the uh, and the grass and the and the birds and the plants. They will be my audience. I I, I tell you all that, that that entire forest got saved. I preached and I preached <laughs> and I preached to them. I didn't have an audience, but I just knew I had this urge to. And every time I found somebody, I wanted to share about Christ. And it, it started where I was, right there in the air, in in the army while I was in the air force before. And then I got a cell group, and they should have never put me in charge of cell group. I was supposed to give a ten minutes uh, lesson, which turned out to be an hour because I just couldn't help it. And it was those things that eventually led me into a missions program that brought me to India, then later to Ghana, then to uh, Uganda and Philippines and, and Denmark and, and travel around the world. So I would encourage young people, don't wait for that big moment, for the spotlight uh, stage experience. Just get out there and clean the toilets and shake hands, make coffee. Don't wait for a platform. Don't even wait for somebody to pat you on the back. Just do what you're burdened, your passion to do. Get out there and get it done. And as you do it, believe me, God will open doors that will shock you and blow you away. One last thing. As you were talking, it just reminds me that so many people nowadays, social media is such an important thing in so many people's lives. And it's all about what your life looks like, how you're portraying your life to be, how many followers that you have. And I don't think it's... It's, it's difficult for young people because I feel like that's just a, a pressure that they're automatically put under. It's almost like you don't have a choice. But your sort of lifestyle, in a lot of ways, you're unsung heroes. You're very much missionaries where you are. Um, so how do you keep your own heart and your own life in check when perhaps sometimes in the hard moments go, oh God, but why don't I have the platform that other people have? Mm. I think that um, we, we, we definitely do live in a selfie culture today. People are very much consumed about themselves and uh, about what others think about them. Uh, about them. And um, in the Bible, it does uh, give us some stern warning about uh, not being uh, lovers of the world. Uh, the things that uh, draws us to the world is basically the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And basically, they are all with a big uh, eye uh, in the middle of it, and it has to do with a very selfish culture. Um, in 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 the big picture, it's very important to remember that there is a reward as a believer uh, when we when we come to the to the throne of God. There is uh, such a thing called a, a, a bima judgment where God will give gifts. And to to us who serve him, and uh, and it'll be shown whether it's going to be wood, stubble, or hay, um, um, and and or whether it's going to be gold, silver, or precious stones. And so our focus should be: what will Jesus say on that day? What will the final applause be? If we keep our focus on that day. Um, uh, where we will be able to be in his presence, then these uh, rewards and the recognition and the exception uh, that we're looking for uh, just fades away. And sometimes um, I think our uh, knowledge and our understanding of rewards is uh, clouded by uh, maybe the Hollywood style or the selfie culture, or I could even say self fish culture yeah, <laughs> yeah. that we are steeped into 
But if we can just let that go and understand that uh, the biggest reward will be on that day, I would rather stand on that day and receive rewards because then I'll have a crown of gold in my hand that I can place at His feet because one of the greatest acts of worship is being able to give and we will bring nothing back to heaven because we came naked from our uh, mother's womb and we're going to go back naked. But I want to be able to have a gift and that that I served here would, I pray to God, would be translated into a form of a gift that I could bring to his feet and lay it down and say, here you go, Jesus. You deserve this because I don't deserve to be here. And I'm so glad that I'm able to come to you uh, with something and with besides the souls which are priceless. And uh, that is uh, something that I would think would be a great, great blessing for us to keep in perspective. So there you go, another week, another podcast, another show. Make sure you subscribe as well so you don't miss out on next week's conversation because it is going to be pretty great. I mean, they always are, but, you know, next week I've really got something up my sleeve. So get involved, subscribe to the podcast and reach out on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever you most like to social and share your thoughts with us about the conversations today. What were the take-homes for you? Or who would you like to hear on the podcast in the future? I'd love to know. Have an amazing week and I so look forward to speaking to you again soon. 